0: Hello, and how do you do?
1: I do good. Thanks. Thank <laughs> you for asking.
0: Of course, of course. Welcome. <sighs> welcome to another episode of Totem Talks, uh, season five, episode four. And
1: that checks out. I had to double check. It's like now you're right. I'm always right. It's I will just, never be wrong again. Now
0: well, with this, I new know. Format, I know. I can't be wrong.
1: I know, but I still like. Four seasons of of trauma, of you getting the wrong episode. (laughs) It's just stuck in my brain. Look,
0: I understand. I understand there were times, but those are behind
1: us. Those times are... They are. They are.
0: Uh, Welcome in, everybody. Uh, I'll tell you a few things. Um, One, this episode was a nightmare to logistically record this week. Oh, yeah. Uh, So normally we do... Are On season five, uh, five is live, so we do Thursdays at uh, 5.30 Eastern on uh, Twitch, twitch.tv slash Totem Talks. And this week we had a gig on Thursday, so that is, of course, out a gig where I have never been more soaking wet at a gig than I was on Thursday. because it didn't even rain.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> we started the gig, and we got, what, five or six songs in about that, and it the, the heavens opened up. They did, and so we just had to huddle. I had to protect our PA system with my body.
1: But then the, the rest you had of the game, to, you had to move my keyboard and microphone while I was still in the middle of playing. <laughs> yeah, the song. and that was I'm fun. like back up, back up, just
0: <laughs> moving the keyboard. I'm like anything else can go. This is the most expensive thing we have.
1: Yeah, yes, indeed.
0: But yeah, it all worked out. It was a fun it one. Um, but yeah, so we didn't record on Thursday, uh, Friday. Wanted to record, had some uh, some power issues on my end uh, due to due to construction being done, reparations as I called it yesterday, uh, and then yesterday yes. we were in the studio recording our album, so couldn't really that's right couldn't really totem talks it up. So uh, no. today is Sunday.
1: Sunday, Sunday, it is Sunday, it Sunday. Is
0: Sunday morning, and Rain is falling. yeah, and was, so we had this really steadfast set in stone plan for ten a.m. And it's now eleven twenty three because somebody on yeah. the podcast now I won't tell you who. It's one of us decided to run ten miles this morning. You be the judge <laughs> which one of us it was. Right. Uh it could be Nick, it could be me. Now that there's video, uh I feel like the answer's clear. It's obviously me.
1: But you did run ten miles. You, Very you proud can determine. Of
0: you. But yeah, that's your new P B, right? Your new P B you wanna you can announce yeah, that, right?
1: That is correct. That is a new personal best. Yeah. It's not my new peanut butter, for the record. <laughs> the peanut butter had nothing to do with it. Well, now I think it did. I think you're lying. Nor did the Pottery Barn.
0: I mean, does the Pottery Barn, it really is everything, though. It encompasses all of the world That's true. in the That's pottery. True. You yeah, know I, what, you know what I wish fold. the Pottery Barn encompassed? The artists we did this week. Why don't you tell people That's who they true. are? That's uh,
1: true. I will tell you that we started things out with Blur this week. We moved right along to Joy Division, and we finished things out with Blink-182. Yes,
0: uh, yes, we
1: in 30. fact did. So here's what's going to happen now. I'm
0: going to start. I'm going to just go right into it, Excellent. okay?
1: yeah. Tell, tell us a little bit about uh, Blur.
0: Blur are an English rock band formed in London in 1988. The group consisted of consists of singer Damon Albarn, Uh, guitarist Graham Coxon, bassist Alex James and drummer Dave Roundtree. Now, they've been active from 1988 to the present. Now, they do something weird with their years active. Most Mm. other uh, bands have their, like, just years that they were and weren't together all together. They're like, we've been together since 1988 to the present day, but we went on hiatus from 2004 to 2008 and also from 2016 to 2018. So, like... It's interesting the way they do it. They do it a little differently.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, the three, the three uh, albums that we covered, uh, we covered 1991's Leisure, as we discussed, because they're British, so Leisure, not Leisure. We That's followed right. that up with 1994's Park Life, and then we wrapped it up with 2015's The Magic Whip.
1: Whip. Yes, Whip. That's with three H's. Uh,
0: now, would you would you like to go first,
1: Nick? I certainly have no issue going first.
0: Why don't you then?
1: All right, sure. So, Leisure. Uh, a record with mostly uh, very high reviews and ratings. However, Damon Albarn, very critical of it, actually, in retrospect. He he has said it's one of t- two bad records he's made in his career. Like, he just isn't happy with it. He thinks that the band, because it was their first record, um, basically kind of kowtowed to what the labels wanted a little too much this being 91 a uk band the emergence of brit pop i mean blur is definitely one of the iconic brit pop artists of this era along with oasis um however this just this wasn't the album they wanted i i don't think it's as, as nearly as bad uh as he claimed and to me honestly i you know no spoilers but i listened a little out of order this week okay and so when this album came on, the songs were honestly a little bit of a breath of fresh air. I will not com- tell you who I'm comparing them to until later on or what I'm comparing them to. But um, it actually felt—and and I don't know if that was just because of what I had listened to before that I didn't mind it. You know, like, I didn't love it, but there were definitely moments. Like, the song There's No Other Way, I thought, was probably the strongest one. I felt like the, the instruments were really grooving on that song— uh, they were shown that they could lock together a little bit there, um, and there was some cool like psychedelic shoegazy type tones and effects going on throughout this record. Um, you know, I-, I think there there are redeeming qualities to this record. I understand why someone like David Alburn doesn't love it in retrospect. Like he's had a pretty successful career between both Blur and Gorillaz, and he's comparing his very best work to what that he sees. That blew you
0: know, my mind when I read that. You didn't know that? I didn't know that the guy from I knew Blur and I knew Gorillas did not know it was the same guy. Oh yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah, I, very I read cool that career. and it like, blew my mind. Super accomplished songwriter. Like very big fan of Damon Albarn personally. Like I, I think he does a, a great job. He's an excellent songwriter. But you know, I agree with him though. This wasn't his best work, but a lot of redeeming qualities in it still.
0: Sure. Uh, first off, gotta thank the guitar dude twenty eight. All good bass players are named Alex. That's true. Just although. Wouldn't shouldn't you be the bass dude twenty eight then? Wouldn't that make more sense? Nope. Nope. I mean I just although I found out yesterday he doesn't really play that. He only he only hopes that he can play that <laughs> instrument. That's true. That's Hopefully. a super niche inside joke that no one gets. That's <sighs> how you attract fans. Exactly. Uh I'm a little more critical. I, I agree with Damon Alburn here. Albarn. It's this wasn't great to me. Um I knew the reputation of Blur and i'd heard uh, well, one of them the one from train spotting i've heard that song Sing. enough that i recognize yeah uh but the rest of the songs like they really just felt kind of boring that's the uh, that's like the term that i can come up with boring um i didn't really hear anything that stood out to me like when we did oasis back at season 1 episode mm-hmm. 1 um that is their kind of comp in in the scene here, and there was so many moments on the Oasis albums, regardless of I I think that uh, I think the Gallagher's are better singers. Um, mm-hmm. Regardless of that fact, like not even putting that in here, I literally just think that there was more like innovation happening on their albums than this. I mean, uh, just the opening track "She's So High" felt almost like a letdown from what I would like from the opening track of your opening album. And I'm a little bored. And then I, and then there's Mm -hmm. 11 other songs for 50 minutes. So I kind of agree with Damon Alburn here. The Like, honestly, that felt good to me that he was like, yo, that album was pretty bad. Like I didn't like that one. I like, I was like, Oh, thank God. (laughs) Good. I feel better. Um, and I'm not going to say too much. I'm not going to harp on it. It wasn't it wasn't the worst thing I ever heard, but I definitely no. get his criticism. And there was I'll, room for improvement. I'll, yeah. Um. So I'll take us into Park Life. And uh, first off, legitimately. So I listened to this album uh while I was you know doing some review and stuff at work, and I, like the the album cover kept popping up on my phone as it changed songs. Mm-hmm. For the life of me, I because I I didn't. I was like doing something. I was like kind of in the zone, so I didn't want to look at it. And I just was like, "What the hell is that album? What is on that album cover? What is that? Is that a picture of the band? Like just from a picture my, of the band from my from my peripheral from <laughs> oh my, my peripheral God. vision?" And then so finally, I like had to pick up my foot. And look. I'm like, "Oh, it's dogs." Hello. I was gonna
1: say, "Isn't it a greyhound race?" That's yeah. what it looks like to me.
0: It's pups, yeah. but it just it was hilarious to me that I I could not for the life of me figure out what it was (laughs) um okay so going into the actual music now this is a step up this album is significantly better than the first album again Britpop to me is something that I don't always relate to like it's it's uh it's hard for me to kind of extrapolate on that a little bit but like I find Britpop to be slightly less approachable than other versions of pop to me.
1: Classic American.
0: And and that's fine. I'm not <laughs> I'm not saying I hate it. I'm not saying, but I'm saying like there are times when I'm like, all right, I I get it, but I don't like it. Um mm-hmm. but I really didn't get that that much here. Like I really enjoyed Girls and Boys right in the opening track. Um I thought the title track was really good. I thought that Throughout, there were moments I really enjoyed. The instrumental piece was not expect like that's just interesting to have. Can you imagine like an American pop album with it, just an instrumental on it? Yeah, I, like they don't, that doesn't exist. So like really enjoyed it. A real step up. Um You can tell that they had a little bit more control over it. Oh yeah, and that is kind of the all encompassing thing. This is more the sound that they wanted. And throughout, I noticed that and enjoyed it. Okay, cool.
1: So I want to preface this uh, by saying, so there's this quote, something that Damon Alburn said in 1990. So before their first album even came out, he was talking to a group of journalists and he said, and I quote, when our third album comes out, our place as the quintessential English band of the nineties will be assured. That is a simple statement of fact. I intend to write it in 1994. (laughs) So here we are. (laughs) Wow. Um, yeah, and honestly, I mean, this album is definitely where Blur really starts to seal their legacy of one of the biggest acts from the UK of this decade. I mean, like absolutely true. So, I mean, he wasn't necessarily spot on, and I, I think there's definitely arguments say they're not the biggest, but they're definitely in contention. They were very influential throughout the decade on any, all other British music acts. Any you know?
0: artist like, or athlete will tell you, it's all up here, man. You got to be the best up here.
1: Sure. So, like, so I, I totally get it. You know, good for him. Uh, and this album, you know, pretty much universally rave reviews with one exception that I could find, which was of course, Robert Criscoll, who Robert said the only good Gonsko. song. Yeah. The only good song on the album was Girls and Boys, he said, which uh, was the only song on this album I didn't really like. It was the only one I didn't like. I really liked this whole album. Uh, I could live without that first song, though. Um I felt like this album was a little. Whereas the first one, kind of like you said, it was it was a little slow, it was a little boring. Maybe it relied a little too much on psychedelic or shoegazy type sounds. I thought this album was a little bit of everything that came before it. Like okay. I could definitely hear influence uh, across a wide spectrum of genres, across a wide spectrum of decades that went into this record. Sure. I felt at times it was like very baroque. I thought that honestly, if the um, well.
0: If it well, ain't Baroque, don't, uh, don't fix, fix it. it.
1: Now, um, I really felt there were times, like uh, throughout this album, when Alburn was on the very top of his writing game, where I was like, "Yeah, this is probably what the Beatles would have sound like, sounded like if they were making records in the '90s." Wow, which is very high praise because you know I That's really super high respected, from you. really respected the songwriting style um, and the variance in this record. I think it, it was really strong. It, it definitely showed what this group could be. Uh, And I'm just going to say that and move right along into The Magic Whip, which was another record released to universal acclaim. That seems to be a pretty uh, common theme with all these Blur records. And it's another good record. I don't think it is uh, quite as good as Park Life, but I don't think it was a huge drop-off either. Uh, I think what was interesting about this record is that I could hear the Blur from each of the first two albums in it. Um, It was definitely... Uh, maybe a little spacier than, than Park Life, and that's where I heard a little bit more of leisure in there. But it was spacey at times, just enough in a nice way. Um and and this album was after like a twelve year hiatus of making any yeah. new music. And I and I really do feel like, you know, considering all that, like they still put out a very good album that I would happily listen to again. So maybe not like the tip top of their work, but it definitely was kind of an amalgamation of what I knew blur to be after listening to the first two records and then kind of advancing through time.
0: Sure. Uh, I totally get where you're coming from. I agree with you in in kind of the fundamental aspect of it. Uh, I enjoyed it more than leisure, less than park life, somewhere in the middle for me. Uh, this just seems like an abandon a group who, as we listen to them, ...became more sure of themselves. Mm-hmm. And I respect that. I respect that. I also... I felt like I could kind of tell... Because they recorded this in two locations... ...in Hong Kong and London. And you kind right. of get that on the album cover... ...that there's, you know... ...there's symbols... ...there's Asian symbols on it... ...that, you know, can kind of... ...you can understand... ...they they incorporated it. Um, I feel like I could tell that there was like... ...it was an album telling two stories almost... Like, I feel like maybe they were in two different spaces as they were in two different spaces, which I thought was interesting. Um, Again, Britpop normally isn't my top genre. However, this Mm. is, I think at this point, barely Britpop, more alt-rockish, kind of like an indie album. Uh, And I enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed it. I thought that it was very solid throughout. It was nice to hear uh, an artist, like a pop artist, not mm-hmm. descend into the depths of like electronic, uh, computerized ambiance and stuff like that. They still sure. were putting together like analog music, and even though, even like you can use ambiance and electronic stuff, but not just rely on it. And it felt like they never went down that rabbit hole that so many pop artists do. Sure. And I appreciated it. Let's grade them.
1: Let's do it. All right. So, again, we're going to start in a place where, you know, maybe listening to this as Americans, we're not quite as uh, used to this idea of blur being as big of an act as they really were. But they were pretty huge in the U.K. And they sold well throughout the world, really. I mean, I know we've been comparing them to Oasis quite a bit. There was, and there have been articles written about it in retrospect and stuff, like at the time... It was very much a who is the biggest act coming out of the UK? Who is going to win '90s and early? 20s? Sure, like is Oasis the biggest or is it Blur? Is it Oasis or is it Blur? Uh, who's going to get the next big? It single? was Oasis. Who, who's going to chart higher? Sure, it was spoiler. I, right, alert. Uh, but what I'm saying is like it was it was pretty close between the two. Of them. Yeah, it was pretty close. Uh, Oasis definitely had more of the single factor in the United States. Um, but Blur was, was also having a lot of success. So this is not a nobody band. No. Just because you maybe you only ever heard song two doesn't mean um yeah, there's not plenty going on.
0: For sure. Um but what what score would that give yeah, I mean that
1: here? puts me somewhere near around the middle.
0: Okay. I would say a little under the middle. Uh okay. you know, under under a five because while they were while they were big when they were big. Mm-hmm. Over a five usually means either sustained success or, like, absolute household name. Like, even if you're not still famous, you're a household name. Quick question. Would you
1: consider every single album you've released reaching number one in the U.K. from 1994 to the present sustained success?
0: I could think that. I mean, that would be... Because
1: every album they've released since 94 has been number one in the U.K.
0: What chart, though? What chart?
1: The... Billboard Top 200 in the UK. I mean, oh, okay. Well, that's one good. On each one. Okay. Yeah. Okay.
0: So hold on, that's good. But like sometimes yeah. it's like, oh, we're we're you know top of the chart, and it's like which chart? It's like, you know, the it's indie alternative, the indie folk. Yeah. No, 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 no. I
1: mean, like every album is number one in the UK since '94.
0: Then I will since amend my score from the four eight I wanted to give them to a five two.
1: Okay. Very good. You've convinced me. Excellent. I'm glad. Uh, I think we're, we're look, well, I know we're looking at eight albums, so a little yeah. over the average. I think there's more good than bad here. I'm willing to give a little bit of a quality bump. Okay. And they've sold about 15 million records, so I think we're looking at a little bit of a sales bump as well. I think this sure, is a, sure. a good score. Probably high, very high fives.
0: Yeah, that's totally fine. I was thinking like a 5'9", that sounds about right. Perfect. I don't want to bump them too much for the quality. Uh, mm-hmm. cause while I appreciated what they were doing and they sounded good at times, I never went like, "Whoa, that's." I know you compared them to yeah, Park Life. Italy. I think I think really, Park Life um, had the most gonna promise for me. Yeah, and I think it already has held up, Nick. It's yeah, nearly no, right. thirty years I mean, old.
1: Like upon us re-listening to it, like I think yeah. you would uh really grow uh to appreciate all those songs even more. Sure, but um. That brings us to instrumental talent. And this, to me, is is the most... Eh, it is what it, it like, is. It, it never took me out of it. It also never impressed Like I didn't think that what they were doing was too uncomplicated. I definitely didn't think it was too complicated either. It just no. was very solid. Like To me, again, this is kind of the epitome of what a five looks like in this category.
0: Sure. And a five totally fits for me.
1: Uh, but songwriting, I think, is, is definitely better. I think Damon Albert definitely shows some chops here. Um, yeah. Each of these three albums, you know, we obviously didn't like Leisure nearly as much, but each album was distinctly different. I think each album distinctly drew from multiple different genres of music. Uh, and yeah. the compositions were mostly very interesting, um, particularly on the last two records. So to me... Uh, that's another good score. Maybe even their best score of the day, like, in the six-ish neighborhood.
0: I I could go to a six, I think. I yeah. think that, um, for me particularly, it's the reinvention multiple times.
1: Yeah, that definitely. I, that I appreciate
0: as, sure. like, as an artist for them to
1: do. Yeah. All right, so I'm going to go with the six there, and then yeah. uh, that just brings us to Poetic.
0: I think there's times when it's good I mean this is mm-hmm. gonna be an above average score uh sure. there are, there are times there are moments when the writing of the emotion is good I feel like I didn't necessarily hear any like cheese or campiness no no um but at the same time I wasn't I wasn't like reverently blown away by the lyrics as either sure so but I'd be very comfortable putting them at like like a five four five five ish sure
1: I'll give them the five and a half and then X factor. So what I'll say for this is one, I mean, quote unquote, the battle of Britpop, the yeah. the back and forth between Blur and Oasis on the charts and that battle, and like the all of the interest in music that it stirred throughout the that time. Yeah, it was definitely something that was being written about quite a bit, um, and it's worth mentioning here. And also, they did receive the Brit Award for uh, outstanding contribution to music in 2012. Okay. So. I think those things might give them like a point two or point three here. I think that's wor- at least worth mentioning. Let's give
0: them the point three. I'm feeling it. Excellent. All right.
1: And then we can move right along to Joy Division.
0: Joy Division were an English rock band formed in Salford in 1976. Uh, and they were active until 1980. And that's it. We did every album they released. Uh, which is unknown pleasures from 1979 and closer by uh, from 1980 and yes and and okay all right
1: it's your turn to go first it's
0: my turn to go first uh and what is there to say about unknown pleasures uh it was recorded in strawberry studio in stockport it is 39 minutes and 28 seconds long <laughs> it's considered post-punk or gothic rock. Uh it was produced by Martin Hannett uh for All the right, Factory label. Let's go. Uh man, talk about talk about an album that just for the entire length, which is 39 minutes and 28 seconds, missed everything that I consider music. All at the same time. Like, I don't want to say this album was hot garbage. Because I I feel like maybe, maybe I I can compare it to, like, worse music in my life. Like, from beginning to end... If you put that on, I would be like, oh, that's music that I hate. Sure. Yeah. As opposed to like some of the artists we've done where I would be like, hey, your CD player is broken. (laughs) Um, However, just from top to bottom, just really bad for me. Really unenjoyable. I've heard so many, so many things about Joy Division. I've heard their name more often than I ever should have after listening to this. Post-punk is already a sticky genre for me, um, and this is just not good. And honestly, here's what I'm going to tell you. The the main issue that I have, and I, I, again, r- I'm not speaking ill of, of the dead here, but he just could not sing. Ian Curtis, uh, right. uh, who did unfortunately, the reason the band broke up was he unfortunately committed suicide at 23 years old. All that is very sad on a personal level, but th- the dude couldn't sing. The- there, There's no semblance of pitch here. It's not even pitch adjacent. It's like, it's like he was told what the pitch was and then had to just guess what that meant. Like if <laughs> they were just like, yeah, this is the key of G, but didn't play any starting note, and he just went. Right. Like that's what it almost sounds like. It's so out of tune the whole way through um he, i I, <laughs> I read a couple uh like articles and stuff where they they just kept commenting on his quote unquote iconic baritone voice and i was <laughs> like it is something iconic if it's bad can be right like that's what it right Could you say like his infamous baritone voice
1: infamous might be a better word um yeah i hated this
0: uh i I knew their big song, which we ironically didn't technically
1: cover. Though we it will was, talk about it. Was it was a single, yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, we'll we'll talk about. It. I mean, it's level sure. Paris apart, right? It's it's going to be included in their score. We'd be foolish not to. It's their sure. It's their kind of one hit, but
1: they're huge. Uh,
0: but, but I knew that song, and I knew I hated it, and so I was like, well, I'm ready for this, and I even then
1: wasn't ready for it. Okay, so I'll tell you what is iconic, Patrick. This album cover, this sure. is one of those images that is ubiquitous in the mu- music scene. Like, it's everywhere. Yeah. This is such a famous cover. Um, it's maybe the best thing about the album, um, which has received near-perfect uh, professional reviews. It is uh, ranked number 40, according to Enemy, in their top 500 greatest albums of all time. Rolling Stone ranked it 211th on their top 500 greatest albums of all time. Which leads me to ask the question, is Unknown Pleasures by Joy Division the single most overrated album in the history of popular music? Because this (sighs) album sucked. Hold on now. I'm just asking the question because it's one of the most influential and iconic records like us particularly of the last forty five years, but really ever. And I'm gonna be honest with you, Pat. There was not a single thing I enjoyed about it. I feel like
0: I feel like you could argue pavement in that category.
1: Yeah, but I may, yeah, it's it's worth considering. Maybe we'll They're maybe bad. We dedicate Maybe we'll dedicate an episode sometime in the future to trying to figure out what the most overrated record is. I think that's I worthwhile. I would be okay with that. Um, but yeah, I mean, so first of all, let me say, usually um, I'm a little bit more forgiving than you are with vocals for a couple of reasons. Yeah. One, I am. I listen to music first. And sure. on this record, I didn't enjoy the guitar tone, really. I thought it was kind of off-putting. And other than that, there was nothing going on in the music that I thought was interesting enough to hang on to. So then I was kind of, like, left to wherever the vocals would take me. And two, I don't mind someone who's not a very good singer if the music is good and they're at least in the key and on pitch. And it's like, okay, you know, you don't have the the most classically nice voice in the world, but you're singing all notes in a key. So, like, I can sing along and it's good. It doesn't sound terrible. Right. There were no notes in a key at any point. No. Like, the best thing I can say about Ian Curtis's voice is at best he sounds like a tone deaf Joey Ramone, and at worst he sounds like David Byrne had seven concussions.
0: And if anybody <laughs> n- is uh, is still here from the Talking Heads episode, you'll know how I feel about that.
1: Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, that's that's all I need to say about unknown pleasures. I think I think we get the idea. Yeah. So I'm going to go to, to closer. Um, this album, uh, it was released after Ian Curtis's suicide. So, um, Unknown yeah. Pleasures was the only record that was actually released during his lifetime. Yeah. Um, and it was more universal acclaim and more completely unlistenable trash vocals. Um, and you know what this made me, me think of honestly, just relating back to earlier this season. This is why when we did Suzy and the Banshees, I was like, "This is the kind of post punk that I can actually get behind and listen to." Oh, because our other options, like Susie and the Banshees, are a hundred thousand million times better than Joy Division. Yeah, like it's because all of the songs are in a key and listenable, and like that's the only bar y- you need to to pass. I mean, the delivery on his vocals at some points. Like straight up verges on parody of the genre. Like it doesn't even sound like he's trying to sing post punk anymore. It sounds like an SNL skit where they're making up the most <laughs> ridiculous possible post punk song, and like delivering it in the most ridiculous, absurd, over the top way. Like everything about it screamed, "Don't even take this seriously." Um, yeah. But somehow, like, just universal acclaim, and I just don't under. I just don't get joy division at all i don't know what there is to get like what is there to enjoy about boring songs sung by the worst person at karaoke night and not just the worst (laughs) person at karaoke night but the person who like goes up and really thinks that they're the best and sounds awful yeah because that that's what it sounds like
0: Uh, uh and listen i obviously agree here's what i'll tell you this album is uh, 44 minutes and 16 seconds. (laughs) Also on the factory label, Martin Hannett comes back. Uh, There's something that was a quote that I read that really kind of summed things up to me. Uh, Martin Hannett was quoted as saying that Joy Division, in his time working with them, was a producer's dream because they had absolutely no clue and never <laughs> argued about anything,
1: just, which it, means all right, whatever. <laughs> they just
0: didn't know what they were doing and Correct. just let the studio push them in a direction. Which here's my issue with that: if that is what was happening, why are why are they so critically acclaimed? I don't know. Like if like I would be, I would like it more. If I found out that the studio was like, oh, no, 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 no. We don't think that. And they were like, no, no, this, this is our, is our vision. Vi-. Yeah. Right. But like mm-hmm. if they're just like, oh, whatever, man. And the
1: and Yeah, no, I I agree with that. And you know what? I think there's a lot to be said for having a good producer who's willing to give you suggestions 100%. and opinions. 100%. And like absolutely any good artist will take that into account and consider it, maybe try it out, see what to keep, what they yeah. totally agree with, what they disagree with. But to have no idea what you're doing and to just, like, let all the decisions be taken out of your hands completely, that's that's totally different to me. Yeah.
0: Uh, so, yeah, this is trash. This is really bad. Uh, Joy Division is an artist that I just could not understand less or get the appeal of yep. less. Don't get it. And uh, that is that. Okay. Uh, let's grade them.
1: All right. So here's the thing. Again – never really hit in the United States uh, compared to the UK and some other places. Cannot deny the influence that they've had on alternative music. Sure. Can't deny it. Uh, It is. They're definitely influential. They are in fact in the UK music hall of fame as of 2005. Um, There is something there. Like Bono said, the joy division was one of the most important bands. Um, Like, They were important for a time. For a two-album band where, you know, they didn't necessarily hit in the United States, it's about as high as you can be for for that.
0: Uh, I mean, yeah, and you can just look at the the list of bands that have claimed influence by Joy Division. The Cure, U2, Soundgarden, The Proclaimers. Fascinating. Which is just very interesting to hear that they, okay... So, like, you know, um, there's also Block Party, Editors, Interpol, but I didn't know those three, so I didn't hmm. say them. <laughs> but I you understand. might you might at home know them.
1: Interpol, probably, of the... Yeah, I, I
0: think I do know Interpol now that I said it out loud. Um, regardless,
1: Dave... I mean, I, we got to give them a couple points here.
0: There's a couple points here. They get the point four level Terrace Apart as a one-hit wonder, because that one they did... They
1: definitely get, in the United States, sure. Um, they definitely get a point at least for being in the UK Music Hall of Fame. Yeah, so that's two. And then they get some stuff for influence. And I
0: would, I would be willing to give them up to a full point, pending your.
1: I'd be. Ha- I, I think three is the least we can do here. Then let's give them a three because we're gonna murder them. <laughs> um,
0: uh, I want to be clear: we will not murder anyone, especially given that no. there's a tragic death. Figurative, in this
1: band. figurative. Uh, Scores are score about related. to are about to go. Breadth of work. There are two albums. Yes, they did both go gold in the UK. They were both hot garbage to listen to. So I'm and, taking the golds away. And, and, and gold in the UK, like
0: here's the thing. I know. I I know. I said this so many times. We tend to kind of discount non-American certifications. Just because that is literally people. only because the sales thresholds are so reduced. Because it's sure. based on population,
1: yeah. Uh, so, like, All right, Look, here's the highest it. I can go: one point two. Because I'm oh. giving them a one point eight for two records. I'm giving them a one point nine two for for two British golds, and I'm taking away like 0. 7, 0. 0.8 for how bad it was. And that's 1. my formula, and that's how feels I worked it feels so high. <laughs> look, I told you my thought process. If you want to try to change it, you're welcome to.
0: I would like to give them a one point one.
1: Done. Instrumental talent. Here's what I'll say. In terms of the compositions that they put forward in those two albums, I heard nothing really of note in the music whatsoever. Yeah. Um, That's not true. Sure. I not... heard a lot of
0: things of note.
1: Uh, yeah, they were notes, but unfortunately, the singer didn't sing any of that. Look, I would have been under for for what I heard in the music, and that was a stylistic choice. Like let me be real like that was the sound they were going for it was just a, a non-complex sound which is fine there's nothing wrong with that but there wasn't a lot of place to show off musical chops in the songs and yeah. the singing like he was a point one as a vocalist like yeah. he if he ever hit a single note that was in the key of the song it was by pure accident yeah it
0: was a total accident
1: yeah, I mean, I'm I'm like a straight up point one on the. This is as bad as vocals can be with an actual human being still trying to sing notes.
0: Yeah, that, I mean, that's
1: uh, yeah. I'll I'll give him a two, a full two, uh, like of full that's two the, points. Because there were, the, nothing about the musicianship was bad. It was just very simple and uninteresting.
0: I'll allow it, I guess, but, like, ooh, that feels
1: high. Yeah. Um, again, so songwriting, look, it was very influential songwriting, and they were an important part of the post-punk sound, so that is where any of the credit that they get comes from. But the songs were boring. Yeah. The, and I'm going to be honest, like, writing a good melody line is a part of songwriting. And if your melody line is constantly out of key with the rest of what you're doing, it makes it sound worse. Like, it takes away from the quality of the song. It definitely does. So, again, I am under, and we're only starting at a 1.8 because it's two records anyway. So, like, I'm, again, down in, like, the low ones. I would like a 1. Done. Uh, and then poetic talent. This is the one thing that Ian Curtis is supposed to be, like, very highly revered for, so I'll let you take it away.
0: And I'll tell you what, like, reading, going going through and reading some of the, like, poem and lyric and uh, kind of reading into a little bit of the, the story and the process uh, of him writing, I think that, th- like, he did that very well. I mm-hmm. I like that is by far the best part of this group. Um would have loved to maybe hear some of Ian Curtis's writings and lyrics and songs done by a band. Sure. That would have been really sick. But it, again, there's two albums so we're starting at a 1.8 yeah, uh, but I would be really comfortable here going somewhere in like the mid twos, a little higher sure. even. Like I think I'd be happy. I think sure. that like, maybe of like course. a two six. I think that like you got it. I really enjoyed reading the words mm-hmm. to Great. some of these songs, and that's
1: nice that we can get be have a nice thing to say. Uh, is there X factor here? I mean, I mean, I think there's precedence. Death yeah. is definitely you know an event. It was, you know, very unfortunate, but it is something that this that makes. And I mean, I will say, I will say, like,
0: so uh, Ian Curtis's death did, quote unquote, stop Joy Division, but the rest of the group did immediately reform as New Uh, Order. As New Order, yeah, Uh, and like that. So they're they still are to get work together and playing. I don't, I didn't really look. I think they're all still together. At least maybe one or two of them is not, but right.
1: Well, well, we'll catch that when we well, catch, we catch New Order. I'm not going to get into that,
0: yeah. but uh, unlike other artists who, like, they really did, like the band broke up when they died, mm-hmm. like, they didn't really break up. They just changed their name. Sure. Which is fine. Out of respect, and I totally get that.
1: Yeah. Um, So do we give a point here for X-Factor?
0: I would say it's a point, yeah. I don't want to go too right. crazy, but yeah, a point seems sure. right.
1: A point is fair, and let's close things out with Blink-182.
0: Blink-182 is an American rock band formed in Poway, California, in 1992. And uh, they were active from 92 to 2005, then again uh, from 2009 to the present day. And we covered three albums. We started with Cheshire Cat from 1995. We then, this this is when they were just Blink. Uh, We then covered Enema of the State from 1999. And then we covered 9 from 2019. Yes. And uh, Nick, it is, in fact, your turn to start.
1: Right. So, uh, like you mentioned, like you kind of alluded to with this first record, they started pressing it just as Blink. uh, And then there was another band, um, I can't remember where they were, Uh, they were Irish, um, that was also called Blink, and they threatened a lawsuit. So they had to change it to something else. So they put the Dash 182. Yep. Uh, And started repressing the record. So that's kind of an interesting little thing. And, I mean, honestly, Uh, it's
0: really good for the other band because everybody knows Blink. Everybody knows that other band, Blink. Nobody knows Blink-182.
1: No, not at all. (laughs) Uh, But I'll tell you what, like, right from the start of Carousel, instrumentally, super iconically, Blink-182. So uh, at this point, Scott Rayner is playing the drum, so it's not Travis Barker yet. But Mark Hoppus and Tom DeLonge's bass and guitar styles, super recognizable right away. And that's a really good thing when the very first track on your very first album, and I had never heard a single song on this first album at all. Instantly was like, this is Blink-182. I could recognize those two playing from a mile away. Like, absolutely on brand. So they had that kind of established right away. Um, However... The one thing about Tom DeLonge and Mark Hoppus, both on this record, is vocals were way worse than they needed to be. Um, Because here's the thing: both of those guys can sing. They can sing. I've heard other Blink 182 songs. They can both sing. They're they're fine. Uh, But they had not. The one thing they hadn't fully established was like becoming the flagship band of their style of pop punk. At this point, they're a little pop punk. And a little just regular punk. They haven't quite, like, figured out where they wanted to be in terms of, of their overall sound as yeah. a band just yet. And because of that, I think they kind of, like, have that punk delivery of the vocals where it's like, let's just shout and not care how it sounds as much. Yeah. Um, and it And it hurts them a little bit, I think, because they lean more punk than pop like in a 70-30 kind of way, which they'll later kind of even out to get that signature sound. So uh, the positives, at the end of the day, the positives are like there are sounds on the guitar and bass that are super recognizable and will become iconic, but they haven't gotten all the way there yet, and they haven't figured out that it's okay to sing well yet. But they'll get there. So, I mean, I prob- I'm i not going to revisit the album, if I'm being honest.
0: Yeah, um, so here's the here's the thing. This album, and it's actually kind of refreshing to me, Because it's been a while since we have really had this happen. This is an album where you can hear the potential, but you also hear that it's like a bunch of super sloppy early 20-year-olds messing around making an album. Like, that's what's happening here. It's like a group of guys who are all, I think, in between 20 and 23, roughly. And Mm -hmm. they're just making music. And they're just shouting, and it's super sloppy, like like construction wise it's sloppy um which is it's a blink always walks that slippery slope between really paced and structured like like as like we've done blink songs and like you don't even think about it until you're singing the rock show and you're like wow i feel like i'm on a roller coaster but i'm not strapped in at any moment this entire song could fall apart if anybody right. is not like Boom boom, boom! 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 Like you have to be, and I felt like the entire first album was them doing that same thing, but like three quarters of the way through the song, it just woo, it's gone. Sure. Um. So, like, bad in like it's bad, yeah. but you can hear where it's potentially going to be good down the line. I think correct. Uh, unlike with unlike with uh, blur where like from leisure from leisure. I didn't know Park Life was coming. Sure. With this, listening to Treasure Cat, I could kind of hear that Enema of the State was coming, and I'm going to go into Enema of the State now. Uh, This album, one, talk about iconic album covers. Yeah, definitely. Enema of of the State is one of the most iconic album covers uh, of all time, I would say. Yeah, Uh, definitely (laughs) the last 25
1: years. Yeah, definitely
0: the last 25 years, probably all time. Uh, And this album... Is I mean, this is the true iconic album of of the week for me and for my generation. Mm-hmm. And this is the album where they just get it right. They get that that roller coaster, that fast paced, just you're it, like, it feels like you're just like running through an entire blank album like the entire time. I this is a, a also a group that has two distinctly different, but both equally good vocalists. Yes. And that is super important, because you have Tom DeLonge and his very nasally, like, you know, all the small things, and then you have Mark Hoppus with, like, a much more, a much smoother kind of Barry voice to him. Yeah. And it plays really well. They really do a good job of sticking to their guns in terms of, like, they know exactly what they're doing. Every song is between two and three and a half. At, I mean, there's one song that's four minutes. Yeah, but it's Adam's song. It's Adam's song. And, Adam's song. Song. and every classic. other song is is right in that sweet spot of, like, in and out. You're in. You're in, you're out. You, we got this. Like, mm-hmm. And it's very well done. It's very tightly constructed. Uh, you, I... I really can hear the difference uh, with Travis Barker on drums. It feels tighter. I actually feel like that's mm-hmm. part of it. Like, I think yeah, Mark sure. Hoppus... Obviously, like, I, I was, you know, we were joking around uh, with Alex, but, like, the rhythm section is, is so fundamentally important, especially when you're doing stuff like this. If the sure. rhythm section is at any point not in sync, that's when that's when the wheels come off the coaster. Mm-hmm. So... Like, you can tell that Hoppus has, like, kind of locked in with Travis Barker in the rhythm section and are able to take those complex tempo and and rhythm moves that they do in the band and really settle into them and make it seem effortless.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and that's just, I mean, Barker is just a, a universally great drummer. Um, and he's you know he's he uh, was married to a, a Kardashian place. Place. now. Fascinating. Yeah. I didn't. But I know he's a great drummer. And I think that really helps this record, and and they fully realized what their sound is. Like you mentioned, I mean, so now they're pop punk instead of just mostly punk with like yeah. a little bit of pop. And a lot of the original fans are like, "This is where they sold out. They're not good anymore." But I think that history and like the vast majority of you know a public opinion will definitely be against that. Like this is really where they peaked. Uh, if you look pretty much any list of like the top pop-punk albums of all time. Rock Sound had this as number one on their list of 51. Uh, Kerrang! had it at number one. Rolling Stone had it at number two. It's pretty much like the flagship or one of the biggest flagship albums of the entire movement. Sure. Um, And one of the reasons uh, that you didn't mention, because you're talking about how tightly constructed the individual songs are, but there's also a really beautiful way a lot of these songs go right into the next one where you almost yeah. don't even realize they've switched song because one song ended in the perfect spot for the next one to pick up and it sounds like a flawless transition between movements instead of two different songs yeah um, i mean which it, is just so cool to hear on a record i it, love it's, that
0: it's one of those things that you almost take for granted uh, because like here's the thing i i have heard every song on Enemo of the State. This is probably the first time because I'm not an album listener. I've become sure. an album listener th- because of the podcast. Yeah, but I'm I've always been a like go down the rabbit hole of listening to songs and like sit. yeah. So like that's something that like you may never even experience, but when you do and it hits you, it's such a cool thing. Exactly, like, and it's it's really it's- shifted my thought of like I enjoy listening to albums because like that's how the artist intended for you to listen
1: correct to it. exactly yeah that's that's what i was gonna say it's like the biggest thing that we miss listening to one or two songs at a time not that there's anything necessarily wrong with that but it's just like a, a much better experience it's at least worth doing like once or twice for an album like this where there's such an intentionality behind yeah the way the songs go into each other um and obviously, like we didn't ne- necessarily mention, we mentioned Adam songs on this. Going away to college is great. What's my age again? Classic. All the small things. Classic. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of the just the biggest songs of uh, in the genre. So now I shall move on to nine. And once again, we have had a personnel change. But this time it is Tom DeLong who is no longer with the group. He is okay. off doing his conspiracy theory stuff. Um, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> But in case anyone didn't know, I think it's clear on Enema of the State* because because of the song *Aliens Exist*. Like Tom DeLong has just always been like kind of a conspiracy guy. Like yes. he's he's just super fascinated. That's that's his his passion is conspiracy theories. Um, so you know, good for him. But he's gone now, and uh, they promoted this album nine by going on a tour with Lil Wayne, which I just thought was that interesting because yeah. it's not necessarily the type. Of artists that you would kind of put together for this um and i will say this the band when they were putting this album together it's their second record without along with um, matt skiba or skyba i'm not sure how to pronounce it uh taking over his role and they were really concerned with progressing their sound uh they needed to to be more than just that same pop punk record over and over and over again um which I totally understand as an artist, which I respect as an artist. Uh, They put out a sound that's still recognizable as a blink sound, but with a lot more modern context surrounding it um, here with Nine. Um, And a lot of that gives me pause. Not always. Some of it gave me pause. Some of it I was like, okay, this can happen. Um, It definitely is not as strong as Enema of the State for me because of some of those things. But one thing that I thought was actually significantly better was they are no longer just, like, very immature 20-somethings in terms of their lyrics. Like, that was what was so endearing about Blink in their early work. Like, it was unabashedly, this is song for immature 18-year-olds, and, like, that's what we are, and that's what we want to do. And it's, like, almost, you know, endearing, like, in in its... uh, goofiness yeah. in its you know intentional immaturity but it's nice to hear because they're older now they're adults uh, and they're progressing past that as well because it wouldn't like a lot of the blank songs from 1999 that those lyrics just would feel so inauthentic coming from a group of people in their 40s yeah that's uh, and it just wouldn't accurate. feel right and they and they absolutely did progress past that um but at the end of the day you know like this is just not the the iteration of Blink for me. It certainly wasn't bad. Like, I didn't dislike listening to this, but it was a little too pop now um, for me to really want to go back and listen again, I think.
0: Sure. Uh, here's what I'll say, okay? And it's it's very concise, I would say. This album is exactly what I would expect Blink to come out with in this era. Sure. And... I am very happy they didn't jump the shark and go electro-pop as so many bands before yeah. them have done. I really enjoyed this album. Uh, it does skew a little more pop. I know I know that. And mm-hmm. there wasn't necessarily a moment where I felt the same way I felt listening to Enema of the State or to some of the other Blink songs that we all know, but like... The band is still solid. The band is still playing super tight. And I did enjoy the maturity, like the maturing, not necessarily yeah. maturity, but the maturing. Sure, right. That Yeah, um, they had
1: to move past that at some point, you know? Yeah,
0: and so, like, all in all, super positive for me. When I saw the album cover, I was, like, l- literally terrified of what was going to happen. <laughs> yeah, So, like, sure. all, all of a sudden, no Tom DeLong and then I see the album cover, and it's, like, could easily just be like poppy bullcrap, and it wasn't, yeah. it was really good. Um, it was, yeah, more pop, but still really good. Really enjoyed it. Um, a couple things before we grade them, of course, just a couple like news blips that I of think course. are interesting. So, one, uh, this one's a little older. So, Mark Hoppus, uh, actually, mm. after this album in 2021, so not too long ago like, revealed that he was battling stage four cancer. Yeah. And then, like, that same year beat stage four yeah. cancer. Love you, to hear Just – yeah, so on June 23rd, 2021, he accidentally shared a picture of himself undergoing chemo uh, okay. on his Instagram story and then kind of – so he wasn't necessarily going public with it, uh, Okay, accidentally shared that and then announced that, yeah, he was, you know – he said he was experiencing uh, stage 4 uh, diffuse large b cell lymphoma which is just a that's not a uh, that's not a good like i'm not saying no. any cancer is good but there are good cancers and bad cancers to yeah. be diagnosed with stage 4 diffuse large b cell lymphoma is it's a non hodgkin's lymphoma mm. like that that might be where you kind of you know it a little better from in like the yeah. public where, like stage 4 non hodgkin's lymphoma is that's not, like, you rarely come back from that. Yeah. And he beat it, and he's cancer-free. That's he's awesome. He's obviously in the in this screening phase still because it's still, you know, a, right. a year ago, basically. But just super happy for Mark Hoppus and his yeah. family. Like, that is such a, a great moment. Going into totally. a little bit lighter stuff. Now, this is bleeding-edge recent, like, July 28th. We're recording on July 31st. Uh, there is heavy speculation blink has uh, has hinted at announcements uh that Tom Delong is coming back to the band really yeah so both Tom Delong and blink have shared like the same promos for like blink 30 because it's their 30 30- and and like there's multiple things like that also uh um what's his name uh Matt Skiba has yeah. like people have like asked him like on like Instagram and like Comments and stuff like if he's still a part of the band, and he's like, "Your guess is as good as mine." Regardless, I'm proud and thankful for my time with Blink. Like we shall see. Like so, he is. He's very much being like, "I don't know if I'm still in the band." Interesting. And like now they're sh- so like everybody's pretty sure that Tom DeLong is coming back to Blink. It is that's by the time you are curious. hearing this audio, listeners, like we there's a know. potential that that has already happened. It's yeah. coming up soon. Uh, but interesting enough, uh,
1: while you're mentioning things like, I know, I I don't know if we'll count this in, in X Factor later on or anything, but you know, Travis Barker also survived a plane crash, right?
0: Yes, he did. And I was going to bring that up in X Factor. Like back in 2008. Yeah. Like because of how, because of plane crash and bands.
1: Yeah, exactly. But he's one of the few who like very luckily somehow survived the plane crash,
0: which leads me to my question. And especially with Tom DeLonge being a conspiracy theorist like he is, right? Are the members of Blink immortal deities? Can they I, be killed? If, if they are, then I two think that's got to be the band, X Factor. Two members of the band survived,
1: like <laughs> very life-threatening situations.
0: Very like low percentage yeah. life-threatening situations. That's and a good point. I think so, we should
1: just give them give them five for for X Factor <laughs> right now.
0: <laughs> it's it's insane. Okay, yeah. let's grade right. them for real.
1: Let's grade them. Okay, cultural impact. Uh, it's very good. Yeah. They are one of the most influential bands of the last twenty five years. Sure. Um, in fact, there were a few things like um, alternative press came out with a list of the the top thirty most influential bands of the last thirty years and ranked Blink fourth behind only Radiohead, Fugazi, and Nirvana, which yeah. is like pretty pretty good list to be on, only behind those artists. Um, you know they they have. You know, started essentially their own sound brand in pop punk where, like, there's so many of the artists that came right after them that you can tell that they are directly trying to sound like Blink. They have spawned a lot of different uh, groups, essentially. And obviously, and they were enormously successful with their own music. I mean, I didn't even mention it, but like, we're talking about they're in their prime. They were moving, you know, 14, 15 million albums. Um, So, yeah. Yeah, Enem of the State sold 15 worldwide. Take Off Your Pants and Jacket, 14 million worldwide. Um, So, I mean, like, enormously, enormously successful and influential. I think we're probably, I'm looking at a number in the eights, I would say.
0: I would probably agree with you. The uh, the other thing that this band did really well that was kind of deceptive, especially at the time, is because, I mean, the time that they really were doing stuff was not pre internet, but pre internet as we know it. Yeah. In definitely. the 90s, like, there wasn't really social media spaces or comments. So they were really good at <clears throat> almost creating a parasocial relationship with their fan base where, like, they were, like, goofy and outgoing and prankish together and the their fans really felt like they were part of the social circle that Blink was in because of that. Which, yeah. Which, yeah. like, nowadays, like, that's the same mental faculty thing you get for, like, Twitch streamers or things like that where, like, your fan base feels connected to you on a personal level, not just through your art. So, like, that is something that not a lot of groups were doing at the time, and uh, that's just something that I think adds a little bit. That's interesting to me. That's something that is unique almost. Yeah. Um, But I'm very comfortable going, like, in the eights. Uh, Uh, How about an eight and a half? Eight and a half is
1: perfect. Great. All right, so Breath of Work. We are talking about eight studio albums, so yeah. a little bit above the average. We're talking about fifty million albums sold worldwide. And I think we're talking about more good than bad. So sure. absolutely. I think that all together probably puts this band right around a seven.
0: Uh yeah. I I think that it's
1: hard to go much lower than that one. It's you're hard to go I would definitely not be trying to go not, lower. Yeah, and you're not taking anything away for the quality and I I mean it's all, I, all good stuff here.
0: Here's where I'm at. Okay, here's if I'm looking at the the three albums we did. Sure. Cheshire Cat was bad with potential. Sure. Bad with potential. I'm okay with that.
1: Animal and the State. Animal of The State's their third very album.
0: Good. And it's
1: very good. Very good.
0: And when you get to nine, I would say it's still way more good than bad. Good plus. Sure. Not necessarily great like Animal in the State was, no. but that's it's hard to catch that lightning that's in the good. bottle. It's good. So the like, you're way more good than bad. The only question mark in my head
1: is Dude Ranch.
0: If Dude Ranch is more sure. like Enema than Cheshire Cat.
1: Uh, so, I think it's, it's halfway because, I mean, I'm going to be honest. Like, there's a lot on here that I don't necessarily know. But their first, I would say, really big hit did spawn from that record, which is damn it. Which is damn that's it. That's on the record, which is definitely yeah. a band that's transitioning towards their signature sound.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, I'm fine going. Maybe even a little higher, like a li- not like not crazy high, but like...
1: 7.2?
0: Yeah, like a seven two seven three. that's great.
1: Good. All right, that brings us to instrumental. Um, so I'm going to be honest, like the first record, I think, nerfs them the tiniest bit because they were sure. intentionally worse than they needed to be. Um, but, but you I... have two good singers here. Yes. I think the guitar playing and the bass playing are both iconic. Um, they're... Uh, You know, I'm not going to say they're the technically greatest instrumentalists in the world, but they right away cultivated a sound and a style that is instantly recognizable as their own, which I think is definitely worth something, because if you can't be the technically greatest instrumentalist, then you'd better find your voice and let people know who you are. And I think they have executed that to perfection. And Travis Barker is an excellent drummer.
0: Yes. And I think, yeah. Travis Barker is excellent. I think that him and Mark Hoppus together are, like, sneaky underrated in how well they hold down a mm-hmm. difficult rhythm section. Like, you're not necessarily, like, just the constant fast-paced, like... Yeah, it's uh, like,
1: it's an exercise. Let me
0: put it to you this way, okay? We have done Blink songs with various iterations of our band, and... More so than most, I would say, when Blink is off-tempo, it is atrocious to be a part of. <laughs> like, when when you're doing a Blink-182 song and the tempo is not right, at least on me, I don't know how you felt. Mm. I wanted to crawl out of my skin. I, I just, it felt so bad. So I give them so much props, like, so, like, high praise for sure.
1: me. Um, Where do you want to be?
0: I mean, we're above average. I mean, that's yeah, obvious. Yeah, I'm just not
1: outrageously high because no, of, we're not, the of the nature of the music like, that I'm they not they play. I'm not talking
0: like they're nines, but I yeah. would say they're probably above
1: 5.5. Uh, I'm they're fine with that.
0: In between the 5.5 to 6 range, and I'm totally wherever you, you want to go And I'm halfway there. in between.
1: So I'll, I'll put them at five, eight because that's halfway in between, 5.75 and rounding up. I love and it. And I'm co- very comfortable there. I love it. Uh, and then here's the thing. Songwriting. They developed, a, again, I think we're talking about another group here, which we've talked about a lot of this season, honestly, that is about as important to their sound as anyone can be. Mm-hmm. So while the compositions themselves don't necessarily need to be particularly complex, it is an iconic sound that they cultivated and created. And you know what? Credit where credit is due. Like, once they realized that they were a pop-punk band and not a punk band, They got much more creative with the harmonies and vocals and layering and, like, definitely added a little bit more to what they were doing in the studio. Now, here's what I'll say. So, when you're done, yeah, no, 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 that's 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 what I was gonna, yeah, that's where I wanted to give credit.
0: Okay, now we've been waxing a little poetic and I want to, I want to be real here. I want to, I want to knock, not necessarily knock him down a peg, but like, be real. Yeah, I get where you're coming from.
1: Oh, it's the lowest lowest of the scores so far. Yeah,
0: I get where you're coming from. Uh, the fact remains, I could take every Blink-182 song that ha- is popular, every popular one, and pretty easily mash them all up. Uh, or just, Or just maybe even just sing the lyrics to one yeah. over the melody I mean, of another. They're all they're similar mostly,
1: sounding. They're mostly four-chord songs. So, they're mostly four-chord songs. And so that definitely is I, – again, I was giving them all the credit that I could think of. Yeah. At the end of the day, like, cultivating the style is going to balance out with the, just the absolute simplicity of yeah. the music and overall that's, here. Yeah, that's and that's kind it's gonna of bring it. Back. It's going to bring them back out. down to earth, essentially. Like, to me, that's like – that almost just sits them back at average because what they're doing is just so simple. But they manage to make that simplicity a new sound for everyone. Um, I enjoy. am
0: I am more than okay going right out of five.
1: Perfect, uh, and then poetic talent. I mean, we alluded to it. Like, look, it it was not something that they took particularly seriously. It was about being immature and having fun. Like that yeah. was what a lot of their iconic stuff is about. So, like, because it was intentional, it, it's not bad per no. se. But it it is just kind of like goofy and immature.
0: No, and I mean, here's the thing. I would say that they're a little below average, but not yeah. like there's there's a below average for just existing and then there's a below average for writing cheesy bad. And sure. I don't think they wrote cheesy bad. I think like a lot of their stuff is like very repetitive mm-hmm. and that's fine. Um and they also didn't really metaphors don't really exist. They're very literal. Yeah. Um
1: I mean, where do you want to go? Like in the foursome? Yeah, like maybe like, four.
0: A, like a four and a half, four, four, okay. four.
1: four. In, like either a four, 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 five, or four, six, you decide. I'll give them the four, uh, the four five. We'll go in the middle. And okay, now cool. X-Factor. And again, I think we have a case for some stuff for X-Factor here. Sure. I would say, again, they are the flagship band of the pop punk movement. I mean, the only other argument is maybe Green Day, but I feel like that is such a different and distinct branch of pu- modern punk. That like there's a there's a definitive separation between the Point One Eighty Two bands and the Green Day bands, you know. Sure. Uh, so maybe not a full like two points or anything like that, but it's definitely something. And uh, we mentioned the Travis Barker plane crash. I would also like to mention. I don't know if you've ever seen the music video for the Rock Show. Uh, for the song The Rock Show.
0: I did. Uh, you know what I did when we learned it. Uh, but can when I, I learned it. Can from I band. tell you about it?
1: Yeah. So basically, the studio is like, here, here is half a million dollars. Yeah. We need you to make a music video for the rock show, and they just like took homeless people to the spa and handed out a bunch of the cash to strangers on on the streets. And they like paid professional dancers to go mow lawns and like they were just giving out. They basically took a half a million dollars and just gave it to everyone that they came across, <clears throat> and, and just did weird stuff. And I yeah. just thought it was fascinating that they use that as an excuse to just pay a half a million dollars out to random strangers, which was, is super cool. Yeah,
0: <laughs> absolutely. I mean, that is quite cool.
1: Yeah, I think it's worth something. So that's where I'm at. Uh, those things together, it just it depends on how many X Factor points you want that to be. Maybe a little bit over one.
0: Yeah, I was thinking like a one three.
1: And I love it. That's and uh, I have where I lived final scores for you today patrick okay all right and losing this week's episode i have a two inch micro penis (laughs) is uh joy division with a 10.7 oh double digits yeah they got just barely because of the Um, x factor
0: yeah interesting
1: yeah uh but winning winning this week's episode winner winner chicken dinner with a 32.3 is Blink-182. Yeah, Division, I mean... Yeah, it's it's expected. Joy Division sat in between them, much closer to Blink, with a 27.9. Wait, no. Or, excuse me, blur, blur sat much closer to Blink, sorry. <laughs> I was, blur and Blink.
0: Blur, 27.9, Blink, sc- 32.3, like, Joy heart Division 10.7.
1: palpitating that you said that.
0: I was <laughs> like, no, 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 no.
1: No, Joy Division... Let me Oh, you know what cuz I was about to also say Joy Division was still 17.2 points away from s- tying for second. Yeah. They were they were a, like more than double their score away. Yeah. Yeah, like they would have to au- triple their score and still would have lost to Blink. Well,
0: that's about it. Um this was a, a surprising week, I think. A week yeah. that I expected I expected bad and got bad. I expected good and got good. Uh, And then I wasn't expecting really anything for Blur and was pleasantly surprised by more than I wasn't. Uh, So Blur was my swing here, and they made it a good week. Good. If Blur sucked, Uh, it would have been a bad week even though Blink was here.
1: Now, please make sure that you come back next week and listen to us talk about Sonic Youth. Yeah, the youth, the Sonics. Yes, that is all. I have nothing left to say. Play us out, Patrick.
0: Uh, yeah, uh, so listen, if you're uh, if you're here, uh, that means you must like something about us. And if you like something about us, please tell everyone. Uh, tell your friends, tell your family, tell people on the street. Uh, word of mouth is a huge way to grow a burgeoning young podcast like us in our fifth season, Burgeoning Young. Uh, but we are, we are still actively trying to grow. And uh, the other thing, especially this season, that we're looking for is some feedback. Uh, I would love to hear from you, our listeners, what you like about Totem Talks. What you would change, if you could, about Totem Talks. uh, What really grinds your gears or is the reason you're tuning in every week? Is it just to hear Nick's sultry voice? Uh, I mean, who knows? The answers are clear to you, but we would like to know. Uh, you know, we're always down to to change things or to adapt. And to adapt, you need to know what the people want. So uh, that is a call to arms for all of you young listeners to uh, to let us know how we're doing, what you like, and what we could do better. And that's, uh, that's what I have to say about that. Now I'm going to play us out. Um, keep tuning in. Uh, make sure you're also listening to our uh, year in review or year in music uh, for the year 1967. We're going month by month as each month happens, and uh, make sure on top of all that you're having a great day.